Former Morgan State running back Alfonso Graham has been beating the odds for a long time, and now that he's in Pittsburgh, nothing has changed. Oh yeah, it's Locked on HBCU. Play my music. You are Locked on HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked on HBCU podcast, your number one daily one-stop shop for everything HBCU athletics, Monday through Friday, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I, of course, Sam Darian Gray, a.k.a. the Mouth of the South, Texas Southern alum and former TSU Herald Sports editor. Thank you for going on this journey with me, making Locked On HBCU your first listen of the day every day. Remember, just because the mic cuts off does not mean that the journey is over. It just means it's time to follow me on Twitter, at South Exclusives starts with an S and ends with an S. Now, today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. And go to birddogs.com slash college. And when you enter the promo code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE, they'll throw in a free custom Bird Dogs Yeti-style tumbler with every order that you make. Today's episode is stacked. We'll discuss how Fayetteville State and Virginia State are the cream of the crop. When it comes to the CIAA, we'll lay out the most interesting wide receivers to watch in the HBCU landscape this year and why I actually agree this time with HBCU sports. However, before we get into it, I want to discuss Alfonso Graham because he's doing something in Pittsburgh that he's very familiar with. See, Alfonso Graham has been beating the odds for a long time. I mean, before I knew who Alfonso Graham was, before you probably knew who Alfonso Graham was, he was beating the odds. And now that we know who he is for about two years, he's in Pittsburgh with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and he is yet again beating the odds. So with that, you know, that lead in, it's a buildup. Clearly, this is nothing new to him. And we're pointing to his path to the NFL. But don't think it's just going from an HBCU to an NFL because we've seen that happen a bunch of times. Though we could characterize it as beating the odds, I would essentially have this same story for every person who is actually in camp right now. And I'm not going to do that for everybody. I'm not going to say Isaiah Land is beating the odds. Uh, Aubrey Miller is beating the odds. DJ Golat is beating the odds. I'm not going to say all of these players who are in rookie mini camps at the moment are beating the odds. It means a little bit more when we say this about Alfonso Graham because before he even gets to Morgan State, let me read off exactly where he was before he gets to Morgan State because his road to Morgan State was just as it required him to beat the odds just as much as his road to the NFL is going to require him to do. So he goes to Arizona Western, Fullerton College, Independence Community College, all of those he went to before he walked on at Morgan State. So he bounced around at three different colleges. Then he didn't have a scholarship. He just had to walk on to Morgan State. And you know when you're a walk-on, nobody's really expecting much from you. You know, I don't know if he was a preferred walk-on, but overall, walk-on is walk-on. If you're preferred, they expect a little bit more from you than just a regular one. But at the end of the day, he walked on to Morgan State, and he had to fight because nobody's giving you anything as a walk-on. I, I would argue that people don't expect you to be much of anything but a place. You're just a body there. 
right? Then he comes on and he ends up getting a scholarship. He ends up leading the MIAC in running in rushing yards. He ends up becoming one of the better running backs in HBCU football and really one of the more dynamic players within HBCU football. He had to beat the odds to do that. I'll tell you right now, going to three different colleges, there's not a lot of people who would have went three different colleges and then walked on at Morgan State. A lot of people would have been, you know what, this just ain't for me anymore. Clearly, I've exhausted my abilities, but, but Graham didn't think that way. So now you go to the NFL. Obviously, he wasn't drafted because the only HBCU player drafted was Isaiah Bolden. He didn't get an undrafted free agent contract either. All he did was get an invite. They just said, you know what, Pittsburgh said, you know what, Graham, we're going to bring you in, come into rookie minicamp and show what you can do, whatever. Not only did he show what he could do, the Steelers liked what Graham could do. And now we're having this discussion because he has been offered and that's accepted. He has signed, I should say, rather than offer and accepted. He has signed an undrafted free agent contract with the Pittsburgh Steelers, which means he is now going to go into OTAs and camp as a Steeler. Now, I went into looking into the Steelers running back situation. And I don't know if this is the way for everybody because I rarely track who are the rookie invites and who are the UDFA. Sometimes they just begin they begin to kind of meld together for me, especially if I'm not looking for my team. For the most part, you know, they were all guys who weren't drafted. That's the way I, I view it, right? Because they eventually do get a UDFA contract if they make it through mini camps. But I'm reading about the Steelers situation, and most times, and this is likely the case with most teams, rookie invites they don't they're nothing but a body there's a little bit of a parallel where I said walk-ons you just kind of looked at as a body you could kind of say that being a rookie tryout you know invite guy that's kind of similar to being a walk-on on the collegiate level and I don't know if making it into campus when you get your scholarship I don't know if it's that moment that moment is likely making the team but I think there's a role and we're talking about beating odds we even mentioned the fact that the guy's five nine five eight not 200 pounds, he's small. He's small for the position. That's beating the odds in and of itself. We could stop there if you really wanted to. But the truth of the matter is that Alfonso Graham has beat the odds going to Morgan State. He's beat the odds now that he's here at Pittsburgh. And if he wants to continue to beat the odds, he's going to have to showcase himself as a receiving threat from the running back position, probably going to have to showcase himself as a return threat from the running back position or return he has proved himself to be a running back who also has return ability right not from the running back position he's going to do that from the kick returner punt returner position but he is going to be labeled as a running back on the roster you have to do these things and you know what if he doesn't I'm and I'm not saying like it's something he should I'm suggesting no he's going to need to do at least one of those things really well for him to make the roster maybe he'll make a practice squad but you know what I won't write him off from doing it because If I go all the way back to Arizona Western, Independence Community College, Fullerton College, Alfonso Graham has been beating the odds for a long time, and he's already beating the odds in Pittsburgh, so why would I count him out now? If you got the answer to sway me on that, please let me know, because I have no clue why I would do it. Going forward, we have some of the more interesting situations, or excuse me, one one of the more interesting wide receivers in the HBCU landscape. HBCU Sports gave their top five list and you know what I actually agree with it and I don't have anything I really would say I would change this or I would change that I know big surprise as we continue with locked on HBCU 
Today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs and more from them. They are our sponsor for the day and our newest sponsor on the network. I just got my shipment in yesterday. I put them on just to try them on, see how they felt. I laid in bed. I fooled around and went to sleep. When I woke up, you couldn't tell me I wasn't either in pajamas or just my underwear because I, I truly felt that comfortable in these bird dogs. Now, they're not pajama pants. They're not pajama shorts or anything like that. They are true shorts, true multi-purpose shorts. Having a tailgate, want to go out and, and hop on the grill, go ahead and put on your bird dogs. You're running some errands, you can go do your bird, I mean, uh, put on your bird dogs. You want to just smoke a cigar out with your friends, you can put on your bird dogs. They're for every single moment, and they fit extremely well. Fellas. The girls like it when you get the legs out. They got the five inch seam, the seven inch seam, the nine inch seam. They have everything. Matter of fact, go to the website right now. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on to view all of the things that they provide for you. But then don't forget to use the promo code locked on college to get a free Yeti tumbler with every order. And as we continue rolling on today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day. Every day on tomorrow's episode, we're going to be discussing Eddie George's new opportunity with the Chicago Bears with a fellowship that not only him, but I believe four other HBCU coaches are also being provided. Before we do that, though, we have three, specifically three, HBCU wide receivers to watch in 2023. And in True, when the rock comes to your city, you say, finally, because finally, I have an HBCU Sports top five players to watch list that I have no alterations that I want to make on it. Now, I'm only focusing on the F FCS, excuse me, the FCS players. But, you know, if you listen to how I did the running backs, the quarterbacks, when I was reviewing these lists, I had a different opinion. It wasn't just I take that list as it is and I accept it and I roll with it. No, I had some tweaks that I wanted to do. I had some opinions that I wanted to share. Those were things that I said. You know, I made my own list when it came to the quarterbacks. Please refer back to Thursday's episode. Please refer back to it. It could actually have something to do with today's topic as well. Those are, those are my reactions the first two times I talked about this list. But finally, because I really do like this list. And I'm looking at the FCS wide receivers that they chose. And these are the guys that I will point out. Now, one thing I realized when I was saying, yeah, 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 I like this list, is I thought back to my quarterback, my quarterback list, not their quarterback list, but my quarterback list, once again, refer back to Thursday's episode. And I was like, man, there's some commonalities. Not only is there commonalities, there's a direct parallel. Look at the quarterbacks that I named. I'll list them off real quick because you can't listen to it right now. Davius Richard, North Carolina Central. Andrew Body, Texas Southern. Jeremy Musa, FAMU. Those are the three quarterbacks that I was really looking out for. The three FCS wide receivers on this list this year, Devin Smith, North Carolina Central. Quadarius Davis, Texas Southern. Jamaray Sharid, FAMU. Now, these are the guys I'm like, yes, I agree with this list so much. I don't think it's a coincidence. I don't. Because when I was evaluating the quarterbacks, I said situations. And, of course, when you're looking at the quarterbacks, you're overall looking at the passing game. Because these are the things that cause me intrigue. Cause me to be intrigued, I should say. So, what are some of the most valuable aspects of a passing game? First off, quarterback. You need somebody who can sling the rock. 
But then you also want to look at the lead receiver, somebody who's going to catch the ball. And that, in my list, combined with this list, is exactly what you have. That guy, for FAMU, North Carolina Central, and Texas Southern. I don't think this is coincidence. Now, when you look at Devin Smith and you look at John Maurice Reed, I'm interested to watch their travel from a number two receiver to a number one receiver because it's not the same. Sometimes we see wide receivers who are really good at twos. Like, man, that guy is a one in the making until he has to go to number one cornerbacks. Then once he has to go against number one cornerbacks, you see, no, this guy is really a two. There are players who are excellent number twos. But they're very middle of the pack when it comes to being a number one. And I can't wait to see exactly where Sharid and Smith fall. Now, Smith, he had EJ Hicks in front of him. Sharid, he had Xavier Smith in front of him. Now, here's my thing with that. Is that we know that Devin Smith is going to be the number one, more likely than not. And if he isn't, I don't want to say it's an indictment upon him, but I'll say that it's his position to lose. Now, Sharid... Fam, you just got that wide receiver out of Bethune-Cookman, Riley, right? So they just got that wide receiver. Sheree might not even be a number one. This might not be the case for him. But we'll operate with the idea that he is, right? Well, I will operate with the idea that he is going to elevate because that is one of the reasons I'm extremely intrigued in him. And if he wasn't the number one, then I would just switch it over to the transfer and say, how are you going to replace Xavier Smith? But Sheree... How are you going to be a number one? Is it going to take away from some of your return ability? All of these things are things that intrigue me. These are all things that get me to buy in. There goes that that buy-in factor. We talked about that with the quarterback play. I want to know, is Devin Smith, is John Ray Reed, are those two cut out to be actually number one receivers? And that's something that we'll have to see this year. But then you look at Quadarius Davis, He's not trying to elevate from being a two to a one. He's trying to elevate from being smothered at Jackson State because they had a ton of wide receivers. He transferred out, stayed within the SWAC, and now he's at Texas Southern. Great decision, young man. I think that you're really going to really love that decision that you made going to the illustrious Texas Southern and Third Ward, Texas. Okay, I think you're going to really enjoy that. But we're talking about Andrew Body. Now you have the opportunity to be Body's number one receiver. Something he's been desperately wanting. I think that he has the opportunity more so than either one of those other two guys to be the man. Like absolutely the man, the go-to guy, no matter what. I think that's something that Davis has a true possibility to possess this year. So he's going learning a new system. It's another difference. He hasn't been raised up in that system. He's having to learn it. He's having to go through it. But it's now his opportunity to showcase that he is exactly what they thought he was going to be when he went into Jackson State. The funny thing to me is that everybody left Jackson State. Now, I don't know what his decision and why he decided to leave. But if he was smothered, Dallas Daniels is gone, right? Kevin Coleman is gone. Travis Hunter is gone. Right? You have so many people who have left Jackson State at the wide receiver position. I think Shane Hooks might be gone too, right? You would think that Davis would have had his opportunity. But trust me, I'm not complaining that he's not getting that opportunity in Jackson State. I love that he's in Houston, Texas. That's more the merrier for me. I love that. So I'll take it. But watching these players either elevate from being a number two to a number one or watching Davis, who is the only one in this class who kind of applies to this logic, just watching him become what we think he can be and just watching if he can do it. Those are absolutely fascinating factors. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the passing situations – in North Carolina Central, 
Texas Southern, FAMU, probably the three favorites. I don't want to say that right now, but hedging my bets, three of the favorites to win their conference, in my opinion, in my book, or at least three contenders. This isn't a coincidence. Quarterback, wide receiver, I'm extremely interested in their passing situations, so I'm extremely interested in these individual players as well. Now, going forward, we're discussing units, right? We're talking about passing attacks. We're talking about wide receivers, but then also quarterbacks involved in that conversation as well. Remember to go back to the last Thursday's episode to tune into that when you can hear me discuss the quarterbacks at length, the same way I just did with the wide receivers. But if we're talking about units, why not just bring the biggest conglomerate you can and talk about all men's sports, all women's sports, and who was the cream of the CIAA? Uh, dang it. I had a real good alliteration going there. I had a real good alliteration, but I ended up getting tongue-tied. But overall, we're going to look at who was the cream of the CIAA crop when it comes to men's athletics and then also women's athletics as we continue with Locked on HBCU. As we're wrapping up today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day, every day, making it all the way to segment three. And I thank you two times for that. We're going to look at exactly how Virginia State and Fayetteville State were able to become the cream of the CIAA crop. It's like I couldn't get it the first time, but every time after, watch me get it absolutely perfectly with no stutters, no stammers, no anything in between. Said it like I was reading it from a book, even though I'm not. Anywho, let's look at how these two men's sports, women's sports, how they were able to really excel and be the top program on each side within the CIAA. So every single year, the CIAA hands out the C.H. Williams Men's All Sports Award and then also the Loretta Taylor Women's All Sports Award. And that's exactly what it sounds like. Like this is not something that's going to try to trick you up. No. This is an award that highlights the university because they hand it out to universities that are the best at all sports. Now, of course, nobody's going to come in and be first place in basketball, football, volleyball, softball, baseball, track and field, cross country, indoor and outdoor track and field. Right. Nobody's going to be golf like nobody's going to come in and be first place in every single thing. But it's about collecting It's a point system. It's essentially like the commissioner's cup. It's essentially like the Commissioner's Cup where you do all these point systems and you come up with who is the best athletic program in this school or in this conference, excuse me. And for Virginia State, it's been them seven years in a row. They skipped two years in between. So for in a nine-year span, and not the Virginia State skipped getting the award, the CIAA skipped actually giving out the award. But for the last seven times that they've given it out, the last nine years, Virginia State has been the best men's program in the CIAA. And their dominant reign, this is absolutely dominant, right? There's, this is a ridiculous level of consistency. For every year, for essentially nine years, nearly a decade, Virginia State has been the most successful school in men's athletics in the CIAA. That's crazy to me. This is, that is, that's something that I could just keep saying over and over, and I don't know if I would ever actually buy into it. But... They weren't big-time champions this year. They only won one sport, and that's men's outdoors track and field. They didn't even win indoors this year. So they had that streak broken, but they have two back-to-back 
back-to-back victories in outdoors athletics, but we're discussing only this year, they won outdoors. Then you look at football, in which they were third, or excuse me, not football, but basketball, in which they were third, got a first-round bye in the CIAA tournament. We're not talking about what happened in the tournament. We're only talking about leading up into it. You were the third-place team in basketball, men's basketball. Then you were third place in cross country. So you medaled in cross country. You won track and field. This is a school that those three sports truly carried. Now you look over to the women's side. Now, Fayetteville State. Now, you might look at Virginia State and say, oh, that's the most dominant run. Seven years or seven straight seasons being awarded, nine years total. You're looking at a school that was the best in the CIAA on the men's side. Yes, that is extremely dominant. But if we're just looking at the 2022 to 2023 academic calendar year and the sports that happened in that year, the most dominant team, the most dominant school is Fayetteville State's women's sports. They have four championships, one cross country, one indoors and outdoors track and field, right? And then you also won bowling. I believe it was bowling was the other one, right? So I'm not even speaking on the premier sport, and that's basketball. I'm not even speaking on that. So the class of it was the runners, cross country, track and field, indoors, outdoors. That's how you were able to find the most success. But it's not like just because I didn't mention basketball, the most premier women's sport, doesn't mean that they were slouches. It doesn't mean that they came in and they were just nobodies. They were second place. They were the second overall team in basketball. So they were really good at other sports. But you know how good you have to be? How many championships you have to win for your premier sport to essentially be an afterthought? That's how successful you were in winning championships. Four championships. Four conference championships this year. I don't even need to talk about basketball when discussing how great and how successful that Fayetteville State was. But I'll use that as the little bit cherry on top. I think I've said it three times. I'll say it one more just so we can make it even, have a little bit of symmetry. But four conference championships for Fayetteville State women's athletics. You had cross country. You had women's indoor and outdoor track and field. And then you had bowling. Dominance. Point blank, period. And then as the little cherry on top, you had second place in women's basketball. Now, I hope that you continue, and I appreciate you, And I hope you continue to make us your first listen of the day every day. On tomorrow's episode, we'll be discussing Eddie George's opportunity with the Chicago Bears. He shares this with four other coaches in the HBCU landscape with four other teams. And we'll break down this fellowship on tomorrow's episode. But in the meantime, in between time, if you're looking for me, you can find me on Twitter at South Exclusives. Until the next time that we hear each other, family, take care. Stay blessed. Peace.